You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. You know, the NBA, I don't think anybody would, would argue, has the global reach that, that other leagues are looking for. But I don't think any sport compares with the regional nature of baseball. And that's what that's what really makes baseball digital so special is that you have these these communities. They have their own identities. You know, a strong photo image and strong graphics, quite frankly, still believe that that's more valuable and more important than video. I, you know, I look at completion rates. I look at number of people continuing to watch things. And again, it, it's easy to look at, you know, the viral video content and see that that is, is what you want to get to. But that's not the norm. People who started out their careers as a social media assistant or coordinator are, are soon going to be vice president level positions and then understanding the importance of digital. So. I just think um, the evolution is going to continue. I think the importance and the gravity of the work that we do is going to continue to improve. Um, and I'm excited to be a part of that. Hi there. Welcome to Sports Content Strategy. My guest this time is Julian Valentin. He works for the Colorado Rockies baseball team in Denver, a city I know very well, of course. And the Rockies have an interesting track record in digital and social media. They've always created very engaging content, but the most interesting thing is the dialogue that they have with their fans and the voice they give on social media to the club in relation to their fans, the way they interact. I want to explore that with Julian. Feel free to follow Sports Content Strategy on all the major social media platforms. And I'm Mr. Richard Clark, E on the end of Clark. Mr. Richard Clark on all those platforms too. A shout out to Feedspot for putting this podcast in the UK's top 40. In recently, we got a, an online medal for that, which I posted on my social media account. And of course, if you need a consultant in content or digital social media and all that kind of jazz, you know where I am. Just go to my website, mrrichardclark.com. Anyway, let's all go to the digital ball game with this man. Yes, Richard, thanks so much for having me. My name is Julian Valentin. I am the director of brand management and social media for the Colorado Rockies Baseball Club here in Denver, Colorado. I, um, I've been with the club since 2011 in a variety of different roles, but uh, the digital industry has grown so much in my time here. And part of what I do is oversee our digital properties, our social properties, work with the league in a lot of regards in those spaces. Um, I also oversee and work in our player relations space and supporting our players um, and our corporate partners and, and internal requests for the things that are needed of their time. And I also support our PR and communications group, as well as working in the publication side. So I cover a lot of ground, but it's, it's a great role that I really love. And um, I, I'm blessed to be a part of this and, and um, a part of this industry. Thanks for speaking to me, Julian. Easy question. What's your content strategy? Away you go. Okay. Come on. What is it? Let- yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> but <laughs> but you must have been one. asked it a million times. Yes. And my answer is just to be interesting. I think... You know, that's one of those things I think a lot of people overthink. They try to maybe do too much or too little. Uh, I think if we are being interesting in the content that we're putting out, interesting in the connections that we're making with our fans, uh, all of our goals are going to be met. I think we're going to reach our sales goals. We're going to reach our partnership goals. I think everything that we want to at a higher level are going to happen as long as we're being interesting in a very crowded and impressive digital space. But are you target, targeting any particular demographic? Are you segmenting in any way with your content strategy? All of the above. I think, um, you know, it, it, these are great tools that we have now. Facebook especially has incredible targeting capabilities, demographic capabilities. 
you know, for the game of baseball, which has a stigma of being an aging demographic, uh, I do think that there is some importance to, to targeting the, um, you know, 18 to 34 demographic. Those, those are definitely fans that we speak to on a daily basis, but, um, you know, I think I think good content resonates regardless of your age, regardless of um, your education and experience. And I think if we're if we're creating those one to one connections and we're really, um, you know, making an effort to, to be heard and, and know that that people have a voice. Like I said earlier, I think everything is going to happen as long as we as long as we invest in that way. A question from a, an Englishman, I suppose. How the hell do you cope with 162 regular games? Before, there's another question you must have been asked a million times. But, you know, at Arsenal had 38 regular ga- regular season games plus Champions League or whatever. It would be a maximum of 60. If that's if we were really busy. You've got 162 in your regular season, and, and that's if you don't go on to the playoffs. I mean... How do you keep that story going? And, yeah, and the, the scale vibe? and the scope of this role is is incredible, quite frankly. And I've been doing a variety of this job for the last nine, eight seasons in my ninth year. So you can do the math on how many games you know, that I've covered and been involved with in my career. And there are people who have been doing it for even longer than I have. Um, you know, I think it just becomes a lifestyle. I think, um, you know, from a personal standpoint, for me, uh, once my family was on board and once my kids were old enough to understand what it is that I do and, and that it's a unique opportunity for them to to be a part of it with me, it became a lot easier. You know, from a work perspective, that's definitely a challenge. Uh, you know, NFL here in America, you have 16 regular season games and everything is a huge event. There's tons of buildup, tons of preparation time. Um, but what it means for our work, especially in the social space, is a lot of um, off-season preparation and really just adjusting and thinking on the fly and being able to be nimble for all the things that we've prepared ahead of time. So, um, you know, the other thing I would say is if you if you cover soccer or football here in America and you lose two or three games in a row, it's an entire month of absolute brutal quality of life. You know, waking up in the morning and just not liking your job. But um, baseball can be tough, but you, there's always another game. So if you have a, a tough loss or a gut-wrenching performance, there's always the, the next day where you can go out there and make it right. So, um, you know, there are challenges with that as well. But, you know, once you embrace the grind and embrace the reality of the, of the gravity of the work and, and the amount of uh, volume that you have, it, it makes it a lot easier and manageable. Yeah, I mean, I'm slight, having worked for the Colorado Rapids for a couple of years, I would have loved to have more people to have been angry if we lost a game just because Colorado in itself is a, is a really, or Denver itself, is a really hard market because it's the smallest city in America where, where all five major sports are, are being played. Um, and so does that make it tougher? You've talked about the Colorado Rockies fans having a, almost a chip on their shoulder because they're being yes. overlooked, but you've kind of flipped that around and made it a positive, which is something that we tried to do at the Rapids as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, that's a core part of our, um, you know, our most loyal fan base is that us against the world mentality. I think that's an incredibly important thing. Uh, you know, with the Rockies during the season, we're the only team that plays in the mountain time zone. Uh, our ballpark is is this quirky place that doesn't get a lot of respect for our players on the national level. So um, what that means for our fan base is, is that mentality. It's, you know, they don't give us any respect. And that's something that we've been able to, to galvanize our core fans around. And, you know, Denver is an amazing market. It's a beautiful place. And uh, from a sporting perspective, that actually can can be a challenge for us on the business side when you when you're competing with beautiful weather 
great outdoors. There's just so much to do that it can actually be a challenge for you from a business perspective. But um, it's such an incredible place to live. It's such an incredible market. And, you know, I think the mo- one of the most important things that we do, and I think any any digital team can do, is really truly understand the primary fan that you're speaking to, your, your hardcore fan base, and really cater to them. And, um, you know, I think if, if you had that as a foundation, you're going to be able to do some really great, impactful work in your market. How do you translate that chip on your shoulder, us against the world, into content? Great question. I, I think it. I think it allows us to do some unique things. You know, it allows us to to go to branch out a little bit. Again, speaking in the social space specifically, um, it does allow us to to challenge some people on a national level, be it a writer or or, or a prominent fan who's not giving our players the respect. Um, you know, we're lucky that we do have some nationally recognized players who are regarded as among the best in their position, best in their sport. Uh, so we have a great base to work with right off the bat. But, uh, you know, I do think it affords us some unique opportunities knowing that we're um, that we're out there. We're stuck in the middle of the country and we do take some liberties in that regard from time to time. But but doing so within the, the framework of being respectful, um, representing the brand at all times and understanding that it's not. You know, it's not just the person behind the account. It's, you know, that person represents so much more than um, than themselves. And, you know, that, that's something that always has to be be kept in mind at all times. Yeah, and I, I do know that one of the tactics that you, you spoke about it there is, is you reply a lot. You talk to people one-to-one a lot. Now, most of the time, I would think that would be positive in terms of fans. Uh, but you are prepared to take people on, have rows almost, or is it just... Is it just snarky comments rather than big rows? Yeah, no, that's not something that we typically look to do. But I believe that one of the most important functions of a, of a strong digital presence is being able to stick up for your, your brand, stick up for your players. You know, there was a pretty, pretty well-known situation in the last year, stick up for one of our female broadcasters who was doing an amazing job, you know, doing a groundbreaking uh, broadcast as, a, as one of the first female women ever to broadcast a baseball game. And uh, unfortunately, the world uh, is you know, many people out there weren't quite ready for that and made their opinions known. But, uh, you know, we view it as our responsibility at times to to stick up for for the people that are part of our organization and the people who are part of our club. And um, again, those aren't interactions that we seek. We, we're always looking for positive, fun, interesting and engaging interactions with with fans. And we you know, the world is so divided these days. We try to use our digital properties for good. But uh, we're not afraid to mix it up if, if the situation calls for it. So that's a case of if someone's added the uh, or tagged the broadcaster or tagged you, you're likely to reply, but you're not going to search for it. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, that's pretty much what it is these days. If, it, if there's an ad sign, an ad sign attached to it. They want our attention. They're specifically looking for our attention. I, you know, a hashtag they're speaking about you or joining a larger conversation. But when that at sign comes in, they're specifically looking for our attention. And um, and then whatever happens from that point happens. With something like that, do you ask the bosses about the tone of the replies, or have you got something worked out, a framework for your responses, which your front office have agreed to? A little bit of both. Uh, like I said earlier, preparation is absolutely key. It can never be one person behind the account getting carried away. Um, but we're human beings, so that that's a, a real risk that you have to guard against. You know, I've been I've been in this role in a, in a fairly senior position for a number of years now, so I do know intimately the, the values of the organization. I know um, those who uh, 
who would have to approve something and their stance on everything, but always keeping in mind that, you know, it represents so much more than just myself. Um, within that experience comes knowing what, what certain things have to be approved. Um, you know, if, if we're going to put ourselves out there in a certain way, knowing that the, making sure that the right people are in the loop. So it just, it's a little bit of both. There is a framework that we've discussed. There are certain, um, approaches and language and things that, that are, um, understood and accepted. Uh, but there are unique situations that come up at which point we, we do have those conversations about how we're going to approach something. And, um, you know, certain times we, we decide that it is best to just let it alone. Don't, don't venture there, but, um, it's a combination of being prepared and having those conversations, but also dealing with things on a case by case basis. Yeah. And I read, um, uh, a piece on, on you and your team. You want to make it feel like no one can tell who's manning the account at that time. So is there a document, a policy, a planning piece that you've done that sets the tone? So we don't know it's Julian or any of your, or as opposed to any of your other team. Yes. And I think this goes back to preparation as well. So let me caveat that. I think the continuity of voice is incredibly important. I think if there's, if there's a drastic difference from person to person, I think it's, it creates a poor user experience. And I think it just becomes a bit confusing for the user and for the, for the fan. Um, with that said, I'm a firm believer, and, and I know this is against the grain for you know, what many people believe in the industry, but I do think that um, as human beings are the ones running this account and human beings have their own experiences and their own beliefs and things, um, as long as that fits within the framework of a, you know, a predetermined approach to, to language and, and how you're going to run the account, I do believe that the, the person should be in the account in some ways. So with that in mind, we do have some planning documents. I call it a manifesto. We have an overall social media, digital media strategy, um, which is regardless of platform, you know, wrote our own, you know, mission statement for, for the work that we do. And then we break it down by platform as well. So we have specific goals on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook uh, so that we're all on the same page. We're, we all know what the expectations and the goals are the language and things like that so that we do keep that continuity and, and allow us to have the freedom to, to inject our own worldview at the same time. And, and how do you staff a game and, and how is it different home to away? Because there's some serious miles going on, I would think. Lots of air miles. There are. There are, yeah. So right off the bat, Major League Baseball as a league provides some incredible resources for all clubs they make available um, if, you, if, you're, if you'd like to take advantage of them. And within those resources includes uh, some photo support, uh, graphic support at times, uh, but also staffing support with some, um, you know, a program called in-game social media coordinators that can help with game coverage specifically. Um, so we've taken advantage of that role and, and have somebody in-house who's, you know, we view him as a part of our team and does an incredible job named Tony Natoli. He does a fantastic job for us in a lot of different ways, and we include him as much as we can. Um, but yeah, as it relates to, to our staff, we have, you know, our, our IGC, Tony Natoli, Nicole Morris, who works full time with me and does an amazing job as well. Uh, and then Lauren Jackarusso works with me also. And she uh, is more on the player relations and general content side these days, but started in social and evolved in different ways. Um, you know, with all the games, that's, that's definitely the biggest thing we have to guard against in terms of workload and burnout. Um, I think it's really important to rotate staff to make sure everybody's um, having their free time, having family time. Uh, they're not getting burnt out by doing the same thing over and over. So 
you know, as, as a manager and somebody who's been doing this for a long time, it's incredibly important to guard against that because I've had to guard against that myself. So uh, the work-life balance is, is always going to be difficult, but it's something that I'm keenly aware of at all times. You know, one of the big challenges, as you mentioned, is trying to bridge the gap between home game coverage when it's everybody in the office for the most part or all hands on deck and then on the road uh, where you're typically a little bit more restricted in terms of the staffing you have. Um, we were one of the, the first teams that I'm proud to say in baseball who had uh, a pretty consistent content person traveling on the road with the team. And I think that's incredibly important, not only from a content perspective and keeping that continuity from home games to away games, but also um, so that the players and coaches know that you're that you're there. They know who you are. They know what you're doing and they understand that you're on that grind with them. And that leads to just really strong relationships and the ability to do some great work together. So, you know, I think the travel is really important and just being aware of the of the lifestyle and knowing how challenging and difficult it can be at times. Yeah, and I found when I was at Rapids that I was head of communications and, and head of digital content or digital and content. You're in charge of player relations. That dual role along with, with, with a content role, that's got to be a massive advantage, right? Because the players are your biggest selling point for your content. Absolutely. That's definitely nice to have those direct connections. And, um, you know, there are certainly still still clubs in all sports in the world that don't have, uh, you know, the digital staff has to go through a... You know, Know, an internal staff, and I think um, the Rockies, you know, my boss Joe, Joe Campbell and Greg Fiesel and Dick Monfort, they've, they've structured our department in such a way that um, communications and marketing are one in the same department. Uh, so as it relates to player requests and player access, there's no middleman. So we're able to um, go directly to players for what we need. We know their general workload. So, for example, if, you know, we get back at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday – and they have to be at the ballpark at seven. We know that they got in late. We know how many interviews they've been doing. Um, so we can we can adjust what we need to do based on our own intimate knowledge of, of their time and experiences. Um, one thing I would say is, you know, having the, the formal player relations component of my job, uh, a lot of that is tied to internal requests, whether it's ticket corporate partnerships, things that have either dollar amounts or other people tied to it. So unfortunately, a lot of our digital requests um, can get pushed to the back burner because there are other high priority items that, that come before it. So, um, you know, that's just one of the things that we're aware of and, um, you know, trying to spread the love and make sure we're involving everybody in, in our content plan. And um, But yeah, so there are some positives and minuses to that as well. Just ideas wise, looking at the content that you put out, I, I've been following you for a bit and I... I know that you're you're full of ideas and you 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 put a lot of store on ideas as we all do. Which ones have spectacularly worked and which ones have not worked and which ones did you expect to but didn't? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, you know, again, having done this for such a long time, uh, I can assure you that many things fail, <laughs> and um, you know, certain things you think are going to be great and and just don't quite pan out. Um, but but in, in a larger sense, I would say that creativity and the ability to feel comfortable trying certain things is one of the biggest things that I think you can encourage as a manager and somebody who leads a digital team. I think, um, you know, I think there are some ways that, that we can do that. And I try to do that. I try to encourage our staff to be creative and feel that they can put something out there and get the instant feedback right away and then realize, OK, maybe that didn't work. You know, one of the things that's been successful for us 
on on Twitter, especially, is the way we cover um, cover some games as what we call theme games. Uh, again, if you cover 162 games a year, it just gets boring after a while. It just it's the same thing over and over, you know, barring some unique situation that happens in the game. So we try to a couple times a month just pick a very weird and strange way that we can cover it, whether it's using only emojis or specifically using typos or um, just very boring text on purpose, uh, you know, haiku. There are certain ways that we do it just to try to break up the monotony of that. Um, those have been incredibly well received. You know, we've we've had some video features recently that we brought back that that have been pretty popular with some of our broadcasters doing some boring things. Um, you know, I, we're always we're always trying to think outside the box. Like I said, just trying to to separate ourselves in the right ways in a space that's so crowded with so much talent and so much incredible content out there. Uh, we're just always thinking of of ways that we can try try certain things and get that instant feedback about um, whether or not it's going to work and how we can be better. KPIs. What are the numbers you put the most importance on? Which which particular metrics? We we look primarily at engagement rate, and that that stems from survival. Quite honestly, you know, our market size is just is such that we're never going to be had the reach and the uh, you know the number of impressions as some of the the, the clubs in bigger markets, uh, the number of followers. You know, back when I started in two thousand eleven. I was always asked by our, our internal leadership, what are our numbers? How many followers do we have? That, that, those were the questions I was asked. Uh, but over the years, we've been able to change the, the dialogue internally um, to, you know, did fans like it? What did they say? Was there good engagement on it? So even from the, from the highest levels, um, we've been able to, to, to all become unison, all, all, all on the same page and understanding that for us, it's all about engaging our fans. And that's such a buzzword. It's such an annoying buzzword. Uh, word that people throw around all the time. But for us, what engagement means is um, you get them to stop what they're doing and think about you. Think about your um, think about your brand and your club. You know, time is such a big thing. We, we, we vie for everybody's time. So, um, you know, for us, we do look at ourselves compared to other teams in our league in, in terms of our engagement rate. But, um, you know, we're always looking at, uh, you know, the number of engagements to impressions. And, and the more the more we can connect with people, the more we can make them stop what they're doing and look at what we're doing and think about us. That's that's the ultimate goal. Because that's the thing. Your your content strategy is be interesting, but surely it's it's to be interesting and attach that emotion to the Rockies, <laughs> because otherwise it's it's just it's just a piece of fluff, and it and it needs to be interesting in a Rockies way with a Rockies tone reflecting who the Rockies are. So it's a little bit more that's than be interesting, isn't it? That's absolutely correct. I think, you know, people who maybe are newer in this industry, they, they get excited about the, you know, the, the sheer, you know, clickbait and the retweet, you know, retweets and stuff. It, you know, it, it's, it's easy to get addicted to this space, uh, honestly. And I think it, it's, it's easy to lose your way if, if everything isn't tied to, um, tied to the club in some way. And certainly there, th- not everything we do is, is intimately t- tied to the club. Certainly there are times where we do fun stuff just for the sake of doing fun stuff. And I do think there's value in that at times, but, but you're absolutely right. I mean, everything has to have a purpose. Everything has to be thoughtful. Everything has to be discussed and, and there has to be a, you know, strategy behind everything you put out because the, the stakes are just too high 
you know, it's, it's just too important of a, of an industry to just throw stuff against the wall and then hope that it sticks. So yes, fun is important. Yes. There are times for, um, random things. Uh, but in general, it, it should always be, um, at least in some way tied to, to your club and who you are and how, how you're trying to communicate externally. Which analytics tools do you use? Is it, is it CrowdTangle or, or you, or other, other packages? We do a variety of different things. CrowdTangle is a, is a platform that we use. You know, I, I place a lot of value on the importance of, you know, how we, how we do week to week. I think that if you, if you look too small, you lose sight of the bigger picture. I think if you look too big, you lose sight of the small. So I'm always looking at numbers from week to week. I'm looking at month to month numbers. And then of course, annually and CrowdTangle is a great way that we're able to do that with publicly available data. But I'm a little old school at the same time. Uh, I, I look at just the stock analytics that you can get through Facebook and Twitter. Instagram needs to really improve in that regard. But, you know, I think that you can really get a lot from, you know, just diving into the to the base analytics platforms. And uh, as long as you know how to use that data and know what you're looking for out of it. And what's the relationship between um, Major League Baseball and the clubs? Because certainly when I was at, at the Rapids, which is my main sort of two years deep immersed in, in American sport, that was very centralised. Uh, but then it was a younger sport. Um, we know that Major League Baseball Advanced Media have been incredible over the years with uh, the way they've approached the sport. But with something like analytics for example and other areas how prescriptive are they about the way you need to do things we have a great relationship with major league baseball um you know it used to be bam major league baseball advanced media now it's just all within the league it's just major league baseball overall um not only from a staffing perspective we have a great relationship with with the people at the league we've known them forever and we have a just a strong day-to-day connection but yeah they're not incredibly heavy-handed it's they give us a ton of freedom, especially in the digital space, to do what we need to do. We're all pulling in the same direction regarding our overall goals, which is to to grow the game, connect with our fan base, uh, generate revenue through through tickets and partnerships and things like that. So, you know, just like anything in life, I feel like if you have strong lines of communication, you you align yourself with people that you fundamentally are on the same page with and believe are are moving in the same direction that you are, I think um, you're able to do great work. And that's that's been our relationship with MLB uh, as long as I've been here in the last, you know, better part of a decade. So it's been nothing but positive for us. Yeah, that's what always struck me about about baseball. And I remember going to see um, when when it was Major League Baseball Advanced Media, I remember going to see them six or seven years ago and they were already having social media reporters at every game. They were ahead of virtually every other sport and it always struck me that this was a sport baseball that i associated and you've mentioned it earlier in the interview associated with getting older with older people and yet they've always been absolutely at the forefront of digital and social media innovation as far as i'm concerned i would agree with that and i think um i think right now a lot of people within the industry and outside view the NBA as the, as the league that's really driving things forward. NBA has, has historically been pretty liberal with content and how you're able to distribute that, how you're able to get it in fans' hands. You know, I think the NBA model has, has been well, well uh, covered over the years is that any content in the fans' of hands is good. It's good marketing. Um, you know, baseball tended, you know, was a little bit slower to get into that point, but 
it's it's getting there where we, we you know at least with the Rockies we view that as a positive thing we want our you know our photos out there we want our video content being consumed in as many ways as possible um, I think it's a it's a balancing act for sure but um, you know I do think that baseball is is doing a great job at reaching that younger audience. I think that the the aging demographic is is definitely overblown. I think you can look at um, a lot of different numbers and a lot of different factors to prove that. Um, but anecdotally, I see the same things. I see a young, vibrant community around baseball. You know, I think it's a very marketable game with great stars. Uh, yes, the games are longer, but you know, so is every sport. You know, soccer is the only sport that has a finite amount of time. It's going to be ninety minutes, and that's it. Um, but yeah, I think in general, you know, so, uh, you know, I think baseball continues to, to move forward and it, it's in a really great sp- space. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, th- there's always going to be this feeling. It's a pervasive feeling that, that baseball is, is a, is an older sport. It's going to be hard for you to fight back against that in the short term. Obviously in the longer right. term, you, you can put many things in place and they are, putting things in place am i right thinking that certain rule changes have have happened and then there's the facebook deal on uh is it thursday games i think it is so so just run us through the what's going on at league level to sort of appeal to that to, to, to that uh, younger market yeah i'm certainly no spokesman for for the commissioner's office or anybody at major league baseball but i can speak to what i see and what i've seen um evolve over the years um like i said i just see a, a vibrant young uh, community. I see uh, baseball as a regional game, which I think is an incredibly important uh, thing that makes it special. I think, you know, the NBA, I don't think anybody would, would argue has the global reach that, that other leagues are looking for, but I don't think any I don't think any sport compares with the regional nature of baseball. And that's what, that's what really makes baseball digital so special is that you have these, these communities, they have their own identities, um, you know, in each market. And I think that's an incredibly special thing that we've been able to really harness in our market, you know, in a larger sense, you know, having that international appeal is certainly a good thing, but, but I think it's really important at the same time to, to take care of things at home, so to speak, before you, um, you know, continue to branch out. And, and the league has made some great strides. You know, we just played a game in Mexico with, with amazing fan support. They're, they're playing a game in London this year. So, you know, international expansion is massively important in baseball. Um, so don't get me wrong, but, but I, I'm a huge believer, especially being the Rockies, you know, in our time zone here that, um, you know, those regional communities are, are incredibly important. You know, from a, from a game perspective, I think that you are seeing some, you know, rule changes to try to speed it up a little bit here and there. I think you can, um, you know, shave some of the some of the dead time maybe during the game, but um, you know that's really only from a broadcast consumption perspective. Because if you're at the stadium in the ballpark for a baseball game, it's it really truly is a a very amazing experience. There's so much going on; it's impossible to not be engaged the whole time. There's music, there's features on the scoreboard, there's you know you can get up and have you know food. The pace of the game is really conducive to um, a social audience, a, a social crowd who. Uh, wants to go and have a great time with their family and friends. And, um, you know, I know this is, uh, you know, you're, you're from England and there's a great international audience. I would, I'd recommend even if, even if people don't understand the nuance of the game, um, just go into a baseball game and just soaking it all in because it's, uh, in my opinion, the best sport in the world. And it, it's such an awesome um, experience when you do go to the ballpark. Yeah, it is. It is a very nuanced game. I went to uh, Coors Field a couple of times. And I remember, uh, midsummer, going to that bar you've got right at the top and looking over and the Rocky Mountains in the background the ballpark is lit up and the field is pristine and um, 
it, it, it's a cathedral. It, it really is a cathedral, and that's a, it's a fantastic experience as well. It is indeed, and that's a great point that you made because you know one of the things that the Rockies really value is trying to be as relevant to as many audiences as possible. So the rooftop that you mentioned, that's that's an area that generally tends to be the, the millennial crowd. It tends to be um, you know people who might not be that hardcore baseball fan, but they're event-based fans and they just love to go and hang out with their friends. They're looking for something to do. And that's great. That's awesome. We want them to come and spend their evenings with us at Coors Field. Uh, if you're a, an older fan and, and you um, you know, you, you can't get around and you need wheelchair access. We have plenty of ability to do that. If you're a hardcore fan and you want to sit and keep score, you can do that. If you have a suite and you want to bring your business out to a game, we have areas for that as well. So um, kids areas, you name it. It's incredibly important that you provide an experience for anybody who wants to uh, be a part of, of what you do and you show them a great experience regardless of how they consume your business. So, um, you know, credit to our club leadership. I mean, that's uh, that's a fundamental part of who we are at the Rockies is um, just trying to connect with as many fans as possible and show them how great uh, the Colorado Rockies are and how great the game of baseball is. I remember when I came down to see you once, you showed me um, a very polished and very accomplished publications, magazines uh, in yes. particular. Um, how much of your content strategy is is based on physical publications as opposed to digital? That's a great question. So when I was hired in 2011, my, my position was primarily a publications position. You know, I was a professional soccer player, a footballer, uh, and I'd always <laughs> been a, a writer. I'd always done blogging. I was always interested in media even when I was playing back in the day. Um, so when I was hired in 2011... Uh, that's, of course, when digital was was a baby. It was in its infancy. And um, my job title when I originally started was publications and interactive marketing. And the interactive marketing was just stuck on the end because nobody really knew that that's what that would become. But for me, making the decision to retire from soccer and, and enter the business world, uh, it was the interactive marketing that really drew me to this. And, and you know, I believed in that moment that that, uh, you know, this industry could become what it has become. And uh, that's that was really what what the selling point was for me. Um, I still do a little bit of the the publications. You know, I'll write long form features. I just finished a thirty five hundred word feature on you know two of our stars who just uh, resigned with the club. Uh, you know, we edit the magazine. We produce a hundred and sixty page magazine every month of the season from March through September, and then hopefully in the postseason as well. We do email newsletters and we do things like that as well. Um, you know, the magazine is such a it's such a big undertaking, but it's incredibly rewarding to have a physical product in your hands at the end of a month long production cycle. And the other thing that's nice is we found that uh, we're able to get a lot of great digital content as well from from the magazine. Uh, so ultimately, it's, it's all content. It's all it's all, uh, you know, sharing your club in different ways. It's all showcasing your player in different players in different ways. And, um, you know, whether it's photos or storylines, whatever it may be. Um, we do repurpose a lot of that stuff in different ways, and um, we're always uh, we're always looking for how we can continue to uh, carefully tie all of our all of our platforms together. I mean, a hundred and sixty page magazine, three and a half thousand words for a feature. That is the longest of long form, I would think. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. And to be brutally honest, there are times where I'm in the middle of a piece, and I'm I'm just like, why am I wasting my time doing this? You know, I could. 
I could just, you know, tweet something and reach significantly more people. But for me, I think if you don't lose certain, if you don't use certain parts of your skill set, if you don't continue to develop your skills, I do believe that you can lose some of that. So yes, while it's a grind, and I know that from beginning to end, maybe only a couple hundred people are going to read that long feature. I take a lot of pride in the work that we do in long form as well. So if there's only a couple of hundred people going to read it, is it is it worth doing? I mean, I, I, my uh, my colleagues, my former colleagues at Arsenal, they did away with their magazine at, at the start of the season, their monthly magazine at the, at the start of the season, presumably because of lack of interest. I, I don't know, but presumably there must have been some economics involved. Is there enough interest to hold the value in doing that deep work on a publication? That's a great question. And I think within the industry, I would say there's some some debate among that. I know in baseball, we're one of the few teams that now produces that long form, uh, full full page magazine. And you're seeing a lot of clubs go to a smaller playbill that's about the size of a little pamphlet, maybe you know 25 pages, just so that people have something available at the game. Um, but for us, we. It, we actually produce our magazine for a number of subscribers, so we ha- we do have uh, subscribers who look forward to that, and it's also um, something that we produce for our season ticket holders as well. So it's um, it it creates it creates revenue as well through ad sales and things like that. So for us, there are some other reasons to to continue to produce it uh, aside from just the readership. So um, I don't see any in- any end in sight for us uh, changing the format, but um, you are seeing that shift across the industry. And a couple of things come out of that. I remember you talking about your photography capabilities and how you feel sometimes video is um, the importance of it is is overemphasized in comparison to photography. Something that I would actually agree with as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think I think video right now is is something that people are chasing in a number of ways. There, everybody's trying to put together the greatest production team and they're trying to figure out um, how to make the most of a video because I think they're being told that they see incredible YouTube numbers and they see all the high-end content that people are producing Um, but that that's not necessarily the day-to-day content that that is going to resonate for all fans so um, what I see a lot of is is basic standard highlights Um, and I see a lot of people investing in my opinion in the wrong ways rather than really truly thinking about um, how to do video right and how to improve um, upon what they're doing. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, a strong photo image and strong graphics are, I I quite frankly still believe that that's more valuable and more important than video. I, you know, I look at completion rates. I look at number of people continuing to watch things. And um, again, it's easy to look at, you know, the viral video content and see that that is, is what you want to get to, but that's not the norm. I just, um, the numbers I see are not matching up with what we're being told among the industry. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd say a, a great picture and a, a, a great caption, even if it gets you 80% of what, of what a, a similar quality video would get you, it'll probably take you 10% of the time to turn it around. So it's sure. much, much more efficient. Same thing applies to, to polish as well. What Once you get things, there's the 80-20 rule here going on. 80, yep. you know, uh, uh, if, if you get your, your polish 80% right, well, it'll take you 20% of your time and you'll get 80% of the traffic that... Um, that 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 extra extra time spent on the video will get you. I I always feel, and especially in baseball, like we talked about earlier, covering so many games, we just don't have the the time or staff or motivation to 
to produce a, a, a long form piece if, if we don't feel that the, the payoff is really going to be there. So, you know, we're working through some options. We, we do believe in certain ways that we can do video right. And we're looking at how we're going to do that. Uh, but I think just being really thoughtful about what that looks like rather than just checking a box and investing money just because you're being told that that's what you're supposed to do. In what ways do you monetize your content as opposed to other U.S. sports? I'm not sure how much you are familiar with the other U.S. sports, but but um, it, it, it's always a key question, isn't it? M- the monetization of content. Yeah, I think that's really the next um, big that's the next big challenge in the industry. I think, um, that was initially where this started. How are we going to make money off of it? And I think somewhere along the way, we, as an industry conceded in a lot of ways, uh, it's, it's nearly impossible. It's, it's difficult. We're never going to be able to do this right. Um, and now I think we're, we're circling back again and we're, we're going to really try to dive deep and figure out how we can, how we can get proper, proper monetization and valuation for everything that we do, whether it's, um, you know, logos that are included in our photos, whether it's, uh, you know, sales through, through tracked links, it's, it's, a, it's problematic, but I, I, you know, it's one of those things that I'm really going to try to, to figure out how to crack. You know, there are companies that, that look at your images and, and, um, you know, put a hard value to sponsored logos in the background. You know, I read something recently that the NBA, um, most of the, the value of the Jersey patches is from digital and social because, um, you can't really see it clearly in the arena or, you know, on TV. So it's the, it's the social media reach that really, um, you know, provides the value for that asset. So, um, I think that's the next frontier. And I think we're a couple years away from that, but, um, you know, we wanted to be the, you know, one of the teams that really, really finalizes how to get that done. Yeah. I'm not, I, while I agree with that, I, I'm never quite sure about the concept that, that, that I always think is basically logo counting. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. I, I'm never convinced as we both know, what value are you putting on that? You might've seen it, but it doesn't, your propensity to buy, how can you judge that just because you've seen it or just because it was in your eyeline? You might not have actually seen it. You might've taken it in via, via osmosis if you see it enough. But uh, yeah. It doesn't mean you're going to buy the damn thing. I agree. I absolutely agree with you with that. Uh, with that said, people are willing to pay for it, right? So, <laughs> you know, in our ballpark, people pay, Not your people problem. pay top dollar for signage, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I mean, there, there are companies who pay top dollar for signage on the outfield wall or signage, you know, in the in the stadium somewhere. And, um, you know, we're really thoughtful about, you know, placing that where it needs to be. But, yeah, I'm with you. You know, as a consumer, uh, just because I see that X brand has uh, signage at a baseball stadium, that's not going to make me want to consume. But but, hey, people are buying it. So it may as well be working for, for somebody. I want to talk about content and ideas. And you've got this concept that uh, you and your team are a strainer. I've seen an image that you produce. You are a strainer for all the ideas and, and the ideas can come from various places. And I thought that was an interesting yes. concept. So just just run me through that. Yeah, I, I just believe that, like I mentioned earlier, I think creativity and um, innovation is is nearly impossible to teach. I, I think it's one of the most difficult things to, to, to nurture and cultivate. So we do that in a number of different ways. I, I tell our staff that there's uh, it's such a cliche, but there's no bad idea. And honestly, the worst ideas are the ones that come from me usually because I have a strange mind and, um, you know, I kind of wander a little bit at times mentally, but, um, I think we, we owe it to ourselves to really truly listen and take any idea that we get. So, um, some of the most successful things that we've done in the digital space have come from, uh, whether it's a, somebody who sells tickets or a fan who has a random idea, uh, because if you are, 
innovative enough and thoughtful enough, you can take a, a half-baked idea or something that is presented in one form and you can twist it and manipulate it into something that's going to work in a different format. So um, I do, yeah, I, I look at us as like a funnel and, you know, we're always looking for ideas and we're always looking for ways that we can create content. But sometimes the best stuff comes from places where you might not be expecting it. And I think if you are close-minded to a certain workflow and a certain way of getting information, I think you're really going to restrict the work that you're able to do and what you're able to produce. So like I said, I, just being always open-minded and, and trying to be able to be as, as creative as possible when the time comes. And you were a pro athlete, as you said. You were drafted by the Galaxy, am I right in saying? I was. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Um, and uh, your brother plays for, is it Portland or Seattle he plays for? He plays for the Portland Timbers. Right, yes. okay. And um, has that helped? Has that helped? Being a pro athlete and being on the other side of the fence, as it were, does that give you a little bit more of an understanding? I do. I do think, I, I definitely think it's helped me get my foot in the door. I mean, I, when I was hired by the Rockies, I was uh, incredibly underqualified, quite frankly. And I, and I am forever grateful for the organization, you know, my boss, Jill and Sue Ann McLaren, uh, Greg, everybody who, who took a chance on me when, when, when I was not the best person for the job. And, um, I think we all need that in life. We all need somebody and some people who identify something in us and are willing to take a chance on us. And I've been very lucky and fortunate in my life to have several people who have done that for me. Um, but I do think working in the sport industry, it does help to have um, an understanding of what the players are going through, uh, understand the way that, that fan bases work, uh, the way that, that people think when they're dealing with athletics. I mean, it, this is a passionate industry. It's, it's based on passion and connection and fun. Um, and I think that, that my understanding of that and my connection to it uh, on the field, but also off the field now and through other people like my brother who you mentioned, um, I do think that there is some value to that. Um, with that said, I think there's incredible value uh, in people coming from different industries, too, because I think um, regardless of the industry that we work in, at times we, we, we enter our own little phone booth and we know the world that we live in. We know the world that we work in. And at times it's, it's hard to break free from those um, things that we've been doing for a long time. So I think there's incredible value in an outside voice and an outside perspective as well. But, um, you know, I, I'm very, very lucky and blessed to to have the path that i had and um i'm just uh i'm just enjoying the ride when i was in denver i i came down to i didn't go to the game but i came to your home opener just to experience the outside the atmosphere around the home openers a concept we don't really have in england but it was yeah. absolute carnage outside there were so many people <laughs> and with respect there aren't that many people all the time outside course but there was this was absolutely packed and there was i remember there was a preacher one of the guys with you know john 3 10 or whatever it was and he was preaching to jesus or, 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 or sure. about the the positive signs of jesus christ and um sure and yeah, it was yeah. absolutely packed i mean how how important his home opener just put that in perspective and how much focus is there for you and your content team because i read it's like five and a half thousand images taken on that day this must be massively important to you it is yeah so in baseball in general opening day is is just a huge event and you mentioned it part of it is that it's an unofficial beginning to the summer it means baseball is coming back it means it's going to start warming up um it's it's a huge event for us here in denver i mean um 
you know, nobody does opening day like Coors Field. Nobody does opening day like the Colorado Rockies and the, you know, the Rocky Mountain region. It's just one of those special occasions on the calendar that everybody looks forward to. Uh, for us in the digital space, it means a time of high engagement, uh, a lot of eyeballs, and it's a time where we want to and need to deliver. It's one of those premium times on the calendar where, um, you know, we're going to be capturing some casual fans. We're going to be reconnecting with some of our hardcore fans in a different way. So um, it's one of those times that we have a lot of pr- uh, time to build up and prepare for it. And we make sure that we deliver as best we can. But, um, you know, if I said you have to experience a baseball game in your life, you've got to go to opening day at Coors Field. There's nothing like it. Our fans are the best. And uh, it's just a really special day. Outside of the Rockies, who is the best baseball team in the U.S. regarding content? Boy, that's a great question. I, I think I think a lot of different clubs excel in different ways. Um, you know, for example, I you know I I look at some of the things that we do well, and um, you know there are certain things that we do that we do very poorly at, um, just based on our resources, based on our staffing. So, um, if I were to look at a, an incredibly well-rounded digital presence, one that, um, that has, you know, great video, great images, great voice, um, you know, great fan engagement, fan connection. One that comes to mind immediately is the Chicago Cubs. Um, they have, they check all those boxes. The Cleveland Indians have a, a really great voice. They have a strong community that they've built over the years. Um, I think as it relates to graphic content, I've always been a big fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates. They do a really nice job with their graphics and their photography. Um, one of my favorite teams is the Seattle Mariners who do an excellent job. Um, so that's just to name a few, but, um, you know, knowing some of my counterparts around the league, I know how incredibly hard everybody works. Um, you know, what I like isn't necessarily what everybody else likes. So those, you know, named a couple that I like, but, um, you know, based on everybody's goals, uh, internally and externally, um, everybody's going to have different preferences. So, um, you know, that's just me being politically correct at the end. But, um, you know, I think it's important to always, um, when you're judging or talking about, you know, one, one club versus another club, just, it's tough to judge because you never know what their goals are, what their internal pressures are, um, what their bosses are telling them to do. So I always guard against saying that one club is better than another, um, or, or anything like that. So, uh, I'm just, uh, like I said, just proud to be a part of the fraternity and sorority that is major league baseball. Okay, so I'll get you firmly off the fence of, on this one then. Um, <laughs> where do you look outside of baseball for inspiration? That's either in sport or in the US, outside the US, or entertainment or whatever. Yeah, I, like I said, you can get great ideas from anywhere. I mean, one of my favorite things we've ever done came from a, a, travel, a travel account that was sent to me from one of our PR guys. And it was basically... Um, you know, a, a create your own adventure situation. And we went to San Diego and basically told the fans to tell us where they wanted us to go, what they wanted to see, how they wanted us to spend our day um, engaging with them. So um, I think you can get great content from anywhere. I think, you know, like I said, sport tends to be pretty similar. A lot of teams want to do things the same way. It, it tends to be a copycat industry. You know, with that said, I think the college college space is really, really driving things forward. I think the, the amount of production and the amount of quality 
content that you're seeing out of college, U.S. college programs is second to none, both in the video space, the graphic space and resources, um, the way that they're connecting with their donors and their fan bases and recruits. Um, so that's one space I look at from a from an aesthetic standpoint and, um, you know, how we can improve in that regard. Uh, but as it relates to voice, you know, that's tough. I think the voice is, is one of the biggest things that we excel at. And I think that's very dependent on your market and your fan base and how you're communicating with your core fans. So that's a really long and bumbling way of saying that we do look at all places, all industries, in digital, out of digital, magazine content, um, you know, conversations on the street, you name it. I'm always looking for ways that we can create content, that we can find ways to engage with fans and, and, uh, and create those strong connections with them. Yeah, I mean, looking at the outside of US sport as I am now, I think that the professional teams do do snark and the talking to fans exceptionally well and the pithy comment very well. But I look at the uh, college teams for the emotional content, the 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 slow mo of the of the of the football player running out on the pitch or the dripping sweat or the the pumping iron they do that exceptionally that emotional side seems to be much much better done in the colleges i'm not sure if you agree i would agree with that and i think the the main reason behind that is i would say colleges are primarily targeting recruits and donors who i think that type of content resonates with them more I would say that most professional teams are trying to connect with that young consumer to buy tickets and buy merchandise. And the, the, the relatable voice, the engaging voice is more along the lines of what is going to connect with that audience. So, yeah, I think that's the fundamental reason why that could be, at least from my perspective. But, but yeah, I definitely agree with that observation on your part. Last one. Where do you want to take this? What, what do you want to do and what are your immediate plans? Boy, yeah. I mean, I think that the digital industry now is really in a in a really important place uh, in the in the sports, uh, you know, the sports business landscape. I think, you know, when I started social media, digital was nobody nobody really knew it was like I said earlier, it was tacked on the end of a, a job description and something that, you know, an intern did because they, you know, played around on Twitter in their free time. Now, I think as an industry, we're really getting to the point where um we need to be investing resources. We need to be educating people internally. We need to be having clear ways that we can move the game forward, so to speak, um, from a personal standpoint, professionally, whether it's the people behind the accounts, but also the industry as a whole. Uh, so that means allotting more resources. It means, um, you know, having people who started out their careers uh, as a social media assistant or coordinator are, are soon going to be, um, you know, they're going to be at vice president level positions and then understanding the importance of digital. So I just think um, the evolution is going to continue. I think the importance and the gravity of the work that we do is going to continue to improve. Um, and I'm excited to be a part of that. Um, I'm excited to see where this industry takes us. It's something that I am obviously uh, incredibly passionate about. It's something that, um, that I love. And, and I'm just excited for, for where this can take us in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, it'd be interesting because I, uh, if you type in VP of content, you won't see too many people with VP of content. Now, I've never seen an SVP of content or an EVP of content. Right. Hey, but it, the day is coming. The day is coming when, that, when, that's, uh, when that's realistic and um, you, know, you have to start somewhere. And now, like I said, I mean, 
we're about nine years into where these jobs started to be, uh, you know, to be full-time positions and this younger generation, you know, myself, I took, took that job when I was 22 or 23 years old and now I'm 32. So I think you're going to see a natural professional pro- progression in that way. And, um, you know, I'm excited to, to see how it all unfolds. Julian Valentin, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Please follow at Sports Content Strategy on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, it's Sports Content SP. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog and sign up for his newsletter at mrrichardclark.com.